Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. Okay, so we are going to do our Q&A tonight, and uh, that's what we're going to do. So we're going to go through some of these questions. All right, so the first one is, why would Lot be willing to give up his two daughters to those crazy people at his door, but not two men that were visiting? So the Bible records history, and it records history that's not pretty. And a lot of people, men and women, when they are not in the right place, make poor decisions, and sometimes disastrous decisions. So Lot was somebody that probably spent too much time in Sodom, right? And... Just like somebody who's a Christian and spends too much time with groups that, or places that they don't belong, it starts to rub off on them. So Lot and his family really weren't strong enough to, to resist a lot of the negative influences. And Lot has this crazy idea that you know, he, he's super hospitable to the visitors who turned out to be angels and when the people of Sodom start banging on the door, he's willing to give up his daughters, which is insane. Um, But I believe that Lot was negatively affected by the culture. And I think that even today, people, somebody could be saved, they could sincerely believe in God, but they're not always going to make good judgment based on some of the negative influences they're receiving. So I'll let my... Pastors, take a turn at this. So um, Genesis 19 records this. Um, Now two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. That's that's an issue right there, uh, where he was. Remember, in that time, the the gate was the gathering place. It would have been the place where people um, even would do illicit things. And so this was the place where, where Lot was found instead of maybe home with his family, ministering to his family. Um, and so I think part of it is, yes, an influence of the culture, um, but also, um, you know, we know in this day there are certain places that we just, you know, as Christians shouldn't be. Um, and so why would he find himself there? Now, the other the other thing I think is interesting where... He was willing to allow his daughters to. Um, he was willing to give his daughters to these men who were banging on the door, looking for the two men who were angels, um, so that they could know them. But he was willing to give his daughters, thinking, I guess, that um, that sin was less than the sin of homosexuality. And I think that's what Lot was thinking in his mind. You know that it, it can't be as bad as that. And I think. A lot of Christians nowadays, I think we get caught in that a little bit. And I think um, maybe rightly, 
we're we're um, kind of painted with that brush of you know hating one group more than another, or you know, or considering one sin more heinous than another. You know, and I think that's something that we should you know seek the Lord on because it's really God sees sin not exactly the same, but uh, it's separation from Him in any way that you look at it. So, Pastor Vin. In Psalm, um, Psalm 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So um, Lot just went against everything that God's word says. And like Pastor Paul just said, he sat in the gate. So there was a um, level levels of compromise he kept going into. First, he was walking with the people of Sodom. Then he stood with them, and eventually he sat with them in the gate. So his um, compromised position just led to more and more depth of sin to the point where a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways that he would let his two daughters go with these guys, you know? And it's, it's sad, but remember today in our society, we are in a compromise in society. People say they believe in God. People say they uh, know God, but they don't know his word. I remember a week ago I taught on, you know, God is going to say one day, you know, depart from me. I never knew you, but we did this. We did that. I never knew you. If you don't know the word of God, then you don't know the God of the word. So it's very important to people who don't who don't like God or don't like Christianity or don't like the Bible will say, hey, look at this. Again, God doesn't sugarcoat history. It's recorded. What Lot does was wicked, right? Again, the lesser of two evils kind of thing in his mind. So when you ask me the question, I'm sort of coming from a standpoint of analyzing why he did it. But I'm, I'm analyzing somebody who was corrupted by the culture. So I'm not making, we're not making excuses for him. What he did was, was evil. Um, and thankfully that the, the angels intervened so the girls wouldn't have to deal with that. Uh, so again, the Bible does record bad decisions. And let me jump to another question. It says, I've always wondered about Jacob wrestling with God or the angel. Why? And how could he not prevail against Jacob, the point of Jacob's hip being out of joint? And then Jacob would not let him go. And because of this, his name was changed to Israel. <laughs> so that goes, that's back to uh, Genesis 32. And it said, so I like to read the whole thing. It says, then Jacob was left alone and a man, capital M, wrestled with him until the breaking of day, which we understand Bible teachers as a theophany or as an appearing of God, right? Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So that's Jacob's response. He said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. 
can mean prince with God, can mean struggles with God, actually has a lot of different meanings. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, saying, Tell me that your name I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, or face of God, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched his socket, the socket of Jacob's hip, in the muscle that shrank. So, you know, the way things are explained, sometimes people have trouble with. Um, Is it, how do I explain this? God can do whatever God needs to do. And the idea was that God came and took the form of a man to meet with Jacob and have this encounter. So that's, again, what Bible scholars kind of look at this with. Uh, But obviously he, capital H, had the power to just touch his hip. And from that point on, Jacob's whole life, he, he limped. So it's just like the question Giselle asked the last Q&A with, where it says, and Jesus couldn't do many miracles because the people didn't believe. And then I explained what that means, right? The fact that he can do miracles and raise the dead, you know, God, in that sense, limited himself because of man's free will. So God will not trample over our free will and our choices. So he departed because the belief, the faith was so low, which was offensive to God. Here, he was able to to touch his hip and he says to Jacob, what is your name? Of course he knows Jacob's name. So a lot of times when the, the scripture is written, Jacob knows what was going on. God knew what was going on, but we don't, right? Just like when Abraham, I know I'm throwing a lot of different things in here, uh, raised the knife right, to, to, to kill Isaac and God stopped him, um, I believe through the angel, and he said, now I know that you would do this. Of course God knew. You know what I'm saying? But when we read the Bible, it's, it's for everyone else, it's for our vantage point to kind of see the nuances of what's being said. So, um, Pastor Vin, you want to jump in? Yeah, um, I think that's where the hippie movement started. Um, there's a fellow named Frederick Buchner. He's a Christian author. And uh, he says this, Jacob's divine encounter at the Jabbok River as the magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God. It's in Jacob's story we can easily recognize our own elements of struggles, fears, darkness, loneliness, vulnerabilities, empty feelings of powerlessness, exhaustion, and relentless pain. So one of the things I think as we all mature in the Lord is how many years, decades, did we struggle with God? His will versus our will. And it's only when we come to that place where we give up wrestling with the Lord that the Lord can bless us and use us in a mighty way. You know, and Pastor Joe, I mentioned all the names. I don't know if you covered Israel. Israel means governed by God. So here was a guy who was a deceiver. He was... Uh, grabbing everything he could. And then finally, God was the one who was his king, and he was governed by God. Um, 
<clears throat> I mentioned this last time when I taught in the book of Job. Remember Job? Uh, remember God was asking Job all these questions, uh, rhetorical questions, to try to get Job to see that um, that challenging God was futile. And so, uh, you know, this account of Jacob wrestling with the the uh, Christophany. Um, and how you know, another another commentator says, how did Jacob ever manage to keep up his struggle throughout the entire night? And we wonder about that. Couldn't God just have put him down in the first round? But no, that's not how it went. So I think for some, for us, and like Pastor Vinny said too, sometimes it's a lifelong struggle with God for us to get to, for us to come out of our self determination and to allow God to then to work in our lives. So he, he the, the commentator goes on and says, I do not know how he could struggle with, uh, with God the entire night, but I do know that his determination to hang in there was no greater than our frequent determination to have our own way and eventually win out over God. We try that, right? We try to have our own way. We try to have God. We, we make our plans and then God, ask God to bless our plans, even, they may, even though they may not be his plans. But there has to come a time in our in our walk, in our in our life, in our relationship with God that we finally give up. And I think you know the fact that it went to the break of day um, is just it, it. I think it just adds more uh, punch to the whole message, you know, of our struggle with God sometimes. Yeah. Um. there's definitely a struggle here and I'm glad you guys didn't, I was waiting for one of you to steal what was in my head. I'm glad you didn't do it. Uh, (laughs) I'm I'm trying to put up a, you know, firewall. So, uh, you know, I, I can't help but think about, he says, I will, I will not let you go until you bless me as if God didn't have the power, like you said, to, to shake him off touched his hip for the rest of his life, he couldn't walk normally because of that. And, and I do believe it's because Jacob had a pride issue. He was, a, he was a supplanter. He was a conniver. He was just one of those guys that you see today that's always scheming and scamming. That was Jacob. And God made sure, and it almost seems cruel to some, but Jacob was just that type of person where he needed that little slight limp to let him know who was the boss. So I don't think there's anything in here. If God could touch his hip and immediately it's out of socket for the rest of his life or it just doesn't move properly, uh, then he could do anything. Now, I liken it to when my son was little. We wrestled a little bit as he got bigger too, but um, I used to wrestle with my son, you know, 8 years old, 12 years old, 15 years old, and we'd have a lot of fun, especially when he was little. You know, I would make him think that he was winning, Right? And at any time, I could squash him. But he's my son. I love him. So we would, he'd laugh, and, you know, we'd fool around. I'd wrestle with him on the bed, and we did a lot of fun stuff. Um, my wife took some pictures, too. But, uh, you know, I always was in control. But I, I, maybe I did certain things to see his tenacity, to see how he would react, how he would. Some of you think it was, that sounds like child abuse. No. <laughs> and we, it was always in good fun. Well, one thing, actually, between his bed and the wall, I would move the bed away, and I would say, I'm going to put you in the pit, and I would turn him upside down. 
He'd say, no, Daddy, don't put me in the pit. It was very funny, and he did laugh, okay? So I just want to make sure that's out there. But I could just see God wrestling with Jacob, teaching him a lesson. That was a wrestling match that Jacob would never forget. And if Jacob had the tendency to go back to his old life, between the hip and just the memory of going all night wrestling with God, and I could just see Jacob, like you were saying, he probably was exhausted, just trying to hold on to God for dear life, saying, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Jacob gave it everything he had, and God knew what his breaking point was. And just before his breaking point, you know, he, he ended it, and he did bless him, right? And again, as sometimes in some of these newfangled ministries, blessing is I'm, I'm super healthy and I'm super wealthy, which is Jacob had a hip for the, a limp for the rest of his life, but his blessing was the fact that he... Jacob got to see who God really was, and he also understood his position under God. And to me, that's a blessing. When I was my own God, I wasn't, I wasn't blessed. I was, was never happy. I was never fulfilled. When I got to know who God was and that I always knew that I'd be subservient to him, that's a huge blessing. Look where I am today. You see what I'm saying? So, Janet, great question. And there's so many layers to this. We probably won't even hit all the layers. You guys have any redirect? We're in a courtroom. Any redirect? Um, in James uh, 1, verse 12, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And if you think about uh, Jacob, the end of his life, right? His uh, sons were the 12 tribes of Israel and all that, that they went through. And, of course, Joseph in uh, Pharaoh's court, and just uh, Jacob eventually going there um, when there was a famine in the land. So God was always preparing. He always prepares his sons and daughters for what's coming because he loves us. And sometimes, you know, I think of coaching or even like in the military, you know, the uh, boot camp or just preseason training, you're really put in the... Uh, people through hard times to get them ready for the contest and they don't know it sometimes why they're going through what they are but then when the game comes and they're not getting tired at the end of the game or they're not giving up on the battlefield it's because of the things that they were developing through all their trials and suffering so this one is a three-part question it says, why did David take Goliath's head to Jerusalem in 1 Samuel 17, 54 through 58? First Samuel 17, 54 through 58. So, it says... And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. He was like some shepherd boy who was going out to fight Goliath, right? And the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse the Bethlehemite. So um, 
you know, some things are, some things when we have our personal devotions with the Lord, which I believe David had, um, obviously, he had great faith. And then there were some things that um, they were just sort of military protocol. And uh, back then, if you study warfare and such, like the king had an expectation that if they had a mortal enemy, that to prove that, because people could say, oh yeah, I killed you know, our enemy. Well, prove it. And it's kind of grotesque, but they would take the head or uh, a certain uh, piece of armor or equipment that only that person had, and they would bring it back to the king. So, sure, David wasn't thrilled to take the head and, and you know, <laughs> the second point is, I am assuming it was a big head, and took a while to get it there, so it must have started to stink. Um, does that contradict Jewish law, right? To touch dead things, which would make you ceremonially unclean, but there was a prescription to stay away from the sacrifices and get to a point where you did become clean. But again, it's, you know, sometimes we see this even in Christianity today, right? We know what the right thing to do is, but we're, we're sort of divided with what's the protocol of this, this job or this church organization or something like that. So it's a little, little bit of a stretch there I'm trying to make. Um, but I would just say that, you know, maybe David, I don't want to speak for him, but is it possible that he felt that it was okay to be unclean for a time and go through the rites to become clean in order to show the king who was scared, who he was the one who should have gone out to battle, to show him that the Lord God of Israel lives. And I'm a little shepherd boy. You don't even know who my father is, my bloodline, but look at the size of this head. I, I didn't do it. This was God. And, and I didn't use an arrow and I didn't use a sword. I used a stone, a pebble or whatever that God, you know, if David threw it the wrong way, God, because David had so much faith, he probably was going to make it boomerang and whack him right where he needed to be whacked. So, um, so that's my, my answer to that. Yeah, I mean, the Bible doesn't say why, but it, it does indicate that, um, well, not even indicate, well, there is references to Goliath's brothers. <clears throat> so I'm wondering if they took if he took his head just to prove that it was Goliath. Because Goliath, I guess his brothers were bad enough, but I think Goliath was probably the ringleader of all of them. And so it was, uh, it was probably his way of saying, well, I got the, the head of the head of the, of the uh, giants. Um, but the point is that it was, the battle was the Lord's. And, uh, you know, I think... Uh, you know, it wasn't that David was boasting or anything else, but like Pastor Joe said, it was maybe military protocol or just to prove, um, you know, that he actually did what was reported of him. Because remember, it was reported that David had done this, you know, and um, and obviously King the king wasn't there to see it. So it was probably just to prove that he did it. Yeah, throughout the uh, Old and even the New Testament, there's a lot of beheadings. And unfortunately, there's a lot of beheadings today. You know, even in the book of Revelation, it talks about, you know, uh, the beheading of people. So um, as both pastors said, it was it's a way that the enemy was. I mean, this was a guy who was strutting his stuff for days. And then finally, David, the littlest one there with no armor on, 
you know, while everybody was hiding in their tent or watching from the cliff, uh, he goes down there with a slingshot. And he uh, then takes the sword of Goliath. And I was thinking how Jesus said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And here Goliath tastes his own medicine, you know, comes back to get him. So, yeah, that's a great story. I think there's so many lessons in it. But definitely it was one way David knew he was going to get ahead. At least everybody's awake. Right, but did, yes, he definitely did that, but did he have to carry it all the way to, you know what I'm saying? Um, Go ahead, Mike. I was also thinking uh, while you're talking, Mike, how in the garden, you know, uh, the serpent and one day Jesus was going to crush the head of the serpent at, at Calvary, even though he would be hurt, you know, but he wouldn't be killed. We know, of course, he rose from the dead. But again, just that uh, the power and well, Goliath, just a type of sin, like a, a tremendous um, there might be giant sins in people's lives and you can only come to the cross to have it crushed. And, and uh, as I think Paul, Pastor Paul said before one of his songs, um, you know, we're new creatures in Christ now because of what he's done. It's not us anymore that's living, not the giant in us, the sin, whatever it is. We're new creatures in Christ. It's him living in us. Yeah, so... You make a great point, Mike, about especially him showing the Israelites not to be afraid, and this is what happens if you have faith. But then David's question, Dave's question about did it make him unclean, which both things could happen at the same time, it kind of reminds me of Jesus, I'm sorry, uh, David later on, and his men end up at the in Jerusalem, and they're starving. And yes, the showbread was only for the priests, but it saved their lives. So human need or human life was preserved, and that trumped ceremonial life rights in that particular instant. So it's sort of, there's always going to be situations where it happens today in the United States where a federal law can come in contact with a state law, and they can, and a judge has to decide which one's more important. Um, but so the last question was three was, is is it true that it was buried at Golgotha? So I don't know, but I did a quick search, and it's kind of funny, uh, CNN 2016, it says, is this Goliath's, I'm, I'm scrolling through Goliath's head and all that, right? And it says, is this Goliath's burial site, first ever Philistine cemetery discovered? Mm. So they actually go through the archaeological, there's pictures, they found bones, they found um, skeletons still wearing bracelets, and Right, things like that that were um, known to be worn by the Philistines. Uh, so we're constantly seeing we're constantly seeing archaeology prove the Bible, whether it's Pontius Pilate or David or uh, there was one recently discovery about proving Hezekiah the king and Isaiah because he ministered during Hezekiah's time. So it's actually quite fascinating to see how science these people who wrote this are not. Christians, but it reinforces the the biblical stories, right? Getting a lot of mileage out of this one. And there was never, um, there's nowhere in the scripture that it talks about 
where his head was buried, and, and Golgotha is never mentioned connected with that. No, that's a great point, Dave, and how throughout history Satan is trying to do that with that man, right? He's, we, uh, as Pastor Joe has been teaching with Ezekiel and Revelation, just the uh, Antichrist one day coming on the scene. That's going to be an, another Goliath trying to take down his people. Any follow-ups to any of the questions so far? Okay. So this one says, in Genesis 6-4... There were giants on the earth in those days. Are these giants the result of a union of fallen angels with the daughters of men? The daughters of men were descendants of Cain, question mark. If so, was Goliath one of these giants? Two separate questions from two separate people with a nexus point. They were destroyed in the flood. After the flood, the Horites, Rephaim, Zuzim, Emims, are mentioned Genesis 14.6. Do the giants once reappear? Are there angels both good and fallen on the earth today? Okay, so Genesis 6. I always like to read the scripture. It says, There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in. So the sons of God were often referred to. It was a, a, a phrase for angels. And they were good and they were bad. Uh, it was Is it Jude that talks about them leaving their former estate, habitation, and doing the wrong thing? So the ones who were obedient would not be these because this isn't what God wanted. So this would be the demonic, the fallen angels. So it says that the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord God um, says, relented, was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Um, and then says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you see the genealogy of Noah. But it does say that there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. Um, so, the question is yes, or the answer is yes, it does appear that, and again, going back to Jude, is that certain of the angels left their their place, so to speak, and they they must have some incredible powers to be able to almost take the likeness of humans, and then instead of being with God, as when they fell, they chose to, to play games on the earth, and uh, there was this this sort of race of superpowered people. Um, if so, was Goliath one of those one of those giants? Um, so you see this here. Uh, you see demonic contact with people, but you don't see sort of this Genesis six four thing really explained again later on in Scripture as we go through the history. Um, when did it happen again? How many times did it happen? I, I don't know, um, but I will say this. Let me go in a different direction. I have friends who are all into this alien stuff, you know, extraterrestrials, and now they have different names. But now it's it's out there. It's not conspiracy stuff. It's not hidden stuff. Uh, our government has had hearings in Congress on aliens. Uh, fighter jet pilots have seen things. They follow things. They defy the laws of physics. 
and you're starting to see a lot more contact or between human beings and these UFOs, um, uh, UA, UA, UA something, un, unidentified alien something. So they, they changed kind of the acronym. So I tell my friends, I said, if you ever see one of these things, run the other way. You know, they're not safe. They think it's kind of cool. But there's been some really good... So now that it's in mainstream, right? So people don't think you're a kook when you talk about it because the generals have talked about it. The Joint Chiefs have talked about aliens. Congress has, has held hearings on it. So it's, it's out there. There's footage of it. Um, there's been some really, really good... And it kind of gives you chills. It's kind of creepy. There are people who are believers who have done extensive research on uh, people who have contact whether it fully happened, all of these, um, these, uh, these, his, his, these accounts by people who swear by having contact with demons, right? There's a whole genre reports that are done. They did the same thing with people who have, con- who have had contact with aliens. It's not like E.T., the movie from years ago, the little fuzzy creatures that just want to be cuddled and loved. Every single demonic or every single alien contact with humans has been negative, has been disastrous, has been torturous. So when you compare human contact with demons and you compare human contact with aliens, it's almost like putting microfish over it. They, they line up. So I tell my friends who don't believe in God yet, don't go messing around with these things. Don't go trying to contact them because you're going to invite something into your life that you're going to regret. So my opinion is that, is that as we get closer to the end, these sightings, Russia, China, the United States, Europe, with these aliens has increased like crazy fold. They're holding hearings in other countries. This is out in the open now. So... I don't know if I answered the question, but I certainly went into a direction that makes you think, doesn't it? And it's, it's kind of chilling when you think about it. Okay. You take what you were just saying, then you think of transhumanism and the things they're doing to humans with technology, and then you put them together with what you just said. You just see a world that's gone uh, anti-God, you know? And they think they're going to win, and they think they're going to control everything. Did you read Genesis 6-4, Pastor? Did you read it? I mean, you read it. Okay. So uh, in Genesis 6-4, that Pastor Joe uh, read, uh, which was um, before the flood. Then you have Numbers 13-33. That's after the flood. And it says, and then we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seen, we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to then, so that was talking about when the spies went into the land and 10 spies came back of the 12 and they were very negative, but Joshua and Caleb were the only two that stood on the promises of God. And after all the adults passed away, Joshua and Caleb were given the leadership to bring those kids who were now older into the promised land. So... There's nowhere in the scripture that we see Goliath as being one of the Nephilim, but there was definitely, he was definitely a giant. Um, and there was many giants both before and after the flood. So it's pretty wild, the stuff that goes on, you know, especially with the supernatural coming into it. It's, and it hasn't stopped. 
I mean, you know, the best is coming where our God reveals himself and we win. But there's a lot of crazy stuff that's going to happen before that. Just just one quick um, reference to Jude um, in verse 6, speaking about these these angels who did not keep their proper domain. That's the way the New King James has it. Um, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So God is judging these angels uh, for something that they did. Um, certainly the angels who were trying to um, uh, t- take God's place. Um, a third of the angels were, followed Satan and were cast down. But there was something about these angels that was uh, maybe, um, I wouldn't say more uh, egregious, but certainly that's mentioned specifically. And Jude also mentions this in the context of sexual sin. So you can see that it's probably the reference to the Genesis 6 account where there was a union of fallen angels with with human women, and they bore these children, and then there was this um, unnatural uh, union. And so uh, trying to pull all the different scriptures together and numbers gives us the account after the flood and, and all of that. So, yeah, just to make all those cross-references. And... The last part of that question, are there angels both good and fallen on the earth today? And I would say yes. Um, we see Job, which Pastor Paul went through for some time, um, where you know Satan does have limited ability to harass Job while he's on the earth. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus said to the disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In Revelation 12, 4, the symbolism of of Satan where he drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And then the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So you see this, you know, this back and forth. You see uh, even in Daniel's day with Gabriel and the different princes of Persia and Greece and, you know, this back and forth between the angels trying to the good angels trying to bring a good message from God to Daniel, and then the other ones trying to to confound that message and run interference. Um, so there's and there's plenty more. That's just stuff that I thought of off the top of my head. Um, but one day Satan will have his him and his following will have their part in the lake of fire, and unlike a prison today, there'll be no way to escape it. And then we won't have to deal with him anymore. So you see that, as I covered Revelation, we talked about the progression there. Pretty fascinating stuff. Okay. Um, Legitimate question. People have, like they just say, hey, how come? So the one question is for Judas. Because, so the question came in, and it was pithy, but I'm going to make more of it. The question that was asked was that, since Judas betrayed Jesus, caused Jesus to go on the cross, caused Jesus on the cross to die for our sins, shouldn't we celebrate Judas and not look at him as a villain? It's a legitimate question. Um, if Judas didn't do it, somebody else would have. Uh, Jesus was exposing the corruption in the religious system. He was exposing some of the corruption in the government. He was 
exposing the evils of, of the day, and the evils that he was exposing were very powerful people. So you see, even early on in Jesus' ministry, right when he's teaching in the synagogue, I believe it's in Capernaum, I believe I covered this in Luke, and uh, they tried to, to, to kill him, and he made his way through the crowd, and they weren't able to. So ever since Jesus, well, ever since Jesus was a baby, uh, the underworld had been trying to destroy him. However, it wasn't Jesus' time. Uh, when the time was right, then he allowed himself to be taken to be crucified. And believe me, uh, if they had a, a lottery system, there were so many people willing to betray Jesus, and there was money involved, and there was powerful people who just figured we have to get rid of him. Um, but that doesn't negate the fact that what Judas did was traitorous. He was a traitor. Uh, and Jesus speaks to better for him not to have born, been born than to do the things that he did. Um, now again, God's will will still be done. And somebody had to do it, or it had to happen so that Jesus could die for our sins. It happened to go through Judas, but Judas is still responsible for what he did. Well, Pastor Paul? Um, I think the most, uh, well, I think one of the scriptures that kind of points to the fact that if it wasn't Judas, it would have been anyone, is the fact that Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, I, from, I give it willingly, as, as in obedience to God and to the Father, and, you know, because that was his purpose. That was, he was, he, he was born a man to die for our sins. And so um, we celebrate God we worship God. I'm sure the question wasn't, you know, should we worship uh, Judas, but should we celebrate Judas or even, you know, uh, give him props? Um, Jesus was, that was the plan. And he was going to accomplish his, his will and the Father's will. And he willingly laid his life down. So um, in, in whatever way it, it wound up happening, um, Jesus would have been perfectly, completely obedient to the Father. Just remember that, like even right now, Vladimir Putin, he's in the Ukraine and all the, uh, the murdering that he's doing. Uh, he doesn't know that he's, if he is the one chosen, he's going to be going right into Israel and die on the mountains of Israel, fulfilling prophecy. So when you go all the way back to the begin before the beginning of the time, God knew how everything was going to play out. So when an individual like a Judas who uh, betrayed Jesus just goes back to us that all things work out together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, nothing's going to thwart God's plan of salvation for mankind. No individual man, no individual nation is going to mess up what God's plan is. It's going to happen. Uh, we just want to be on the winning team, amen? We just want to be sure we're in the right place. Um, this one I kind of held for a while, but this was the, you know, there, there are different people that go around uh, New York, Monroe, wherever, and, you know, they try to help people, enlighten them on sort of like the proper name for God, and you shouldn't say this, but you should say this instead. So this was kind of something that, um, did he leave this on your car or somebody else's? Gotcha. So somebody, we have a gentleman, several men and women in the fellowship who like to share the gospel, and um, 
So we, we have a guy who's pretty, pretty solid in sharing the gospel, and um, there's a gentleman who put this on his windshield and just kind of correcting him with the Hebrew and, and different things. And sometimes um, we can get so caught up in semantics that we miss the point, right? You shouldn't say, I don't like the name Jehovah because there's no J in Hebrew or Greek, so I don't say Jehovah, I don't like it, I say Yahweh. But I, I guess I could be guilty of it too. Uh, but I don't say to people, I don't tell them what they can say and can't say. You know, when you look at the name of God, when you look at the name of Jesus, Yeshua, uh, it could be pronounced Yehoshua, which is a form of Joshua, which means God is salvation. Um, you know, in, in English, it's been transliterate, transliterated to Jesus. In Swahili, it's something else. In, in uh, Lithuanian, it's something else. So, I mean... When, when you're trying to lead somebody to, to God, if, if you get so caught up in semantics and names and you, you have to pronounce it like this, like, you know, we're, I, I live close to Lakewood, so a lot of them won't even say Yahweh, uh, yod heh wav heh in Hebrew. They'll say Hashem, which means the name, because they're afraid that if they say his name with the, without the right proper pronunciation that God's going to be angry with them. I mean, I don't think that's the God we serve. So they say Hashem, which just literally means the name, because they don't want to say anything remotely resembling any of the names that God expressed for himself in the Bible. So again, I, I just think that, you know, if I'm talking to somebody and, and I witness to a lot of people, and if they don't know anything about God and I'm trying to get them to pronounce Hebrew and putting the consonants and the, you know, the pronunciations right and I'm going to lose them. I need to express to them who God is. I need to express to them that they need to come back to their Father in Heaven, and the way to Him is through Christ. So call Him Jesus, call Him Yeshua, call Him Yehoshua. Um, the point is, He's God the Son, right? Some people pr prefer to say Eloah, El Elohim, which is various forms of, of God. But then others will say, well, you have to say the name of the God, it's like, oh my goodness. Can we just help people to just have a childlike faith to realize that they need to come back to their father and do all the pronunciation and, and all that stuff afterwards? Because I think you lose people. I mean, if I'm teaching a Bible class, then I'm going to be semantic. But if I'm teaching a, a Sunday sermon and there's a handful of people who don't know the Lord, if I start getting into the weeds in this stuff, they're going to be like, I just came here to learn about God, and now I'm confused. You see where we're going with that? So, um, I don't know if you want to follow up on that. Uh, yeah, I, I like what um, I like what it says in in, in Exodus uh, three fourteen when uh, when Moses encountered the burn, burning bush, God in the burning bush, and he and he wants to know who should I, you know, who should I say sent me, and God says I am. Tell them I am sent you. Now, is that God's name? No, it's really his nature. And I think when we, like Pastor Joseph, getting caught up in the, in the pronunciations and the spellings and whether to say the consonants or not say, or say the vowels and not say the vowels, um, can definitely get you into a spiral of, of a conversation that's not going to be... Um, you know, you're not going to get to the place where you introduce them to who God really is. God is, the name of God is the nature of God. 
the character of God. Um, God is love. You want to tell you, somebody wants to know what God's name is. You can tell them. Well, God's character is love. He wants. He 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 wishes that none should perish. That all will come to repentance and a relationship with Him. That's who God is. Um, so you, you know those conversations can kind of spiral into you know meaninglessness. Um, so I, you know it's interesting. It's interesting, but you know this person that left the note is, I guess, so caught up in the whole the whole pronunciation, Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, or whatever, that they may sadly may never know who the God is that they're questioning. Pastor Vin, I look at this and I I just see the um, how much detail that's the Hebrew in the Hebrew writing. And that's time that he could be spending in the scriptures, you know, just just knowing his God. I mean, Jesus is the word of God. So if we want to come to know the creator, the savior, you just get into God's word, you know. And then there's that whole thing that legalism should have went out when the Old Testament closed and the New Testament came in. You know, we're saved by grace. It's through the God's Holy Spirit you know, who guides us. We're no longer under that law, but yet so many um, Christians try to put people under the law. Just like um, with Peter and Paul, I believe, in the New Testament, right? Where they were trying to stay under the law and they were acting different ways with different people. No, we're just free in, in Jesus. You know, we're just free in Him. And that's such a beautiful thing. Anybody have any other questions? I was going to bring one more point up, but I mean, it's getting close to that time. We're done, ma'am. I'm sorry. <laughs> awesome. Love God, and because on the live stream they can't hear the questions, so love God, right, and love your neighbor. It doesn't say um, make the right pronunciation first, love somebody later. It says love God and then love your neighbor. And then all, you know, Jesus said the, the law and the prophets hang on these. Um, I'll leave you with, with this. is So the gym I go to is, I think it's in Lakewood. And it's kind of cool because a lot of, I'm, I'm running into all these young Orthodox men that are coming to the gym and, they ask me how to do certain exercises, and I smile because I know what I'm going to say after I show them how to do the exercises. But it's been fun because it's like, you know, usually I like to go out and find people and engage them. God's bringing them to me. They literally, I'm a stranger, and they go, can you show me how to use? I'm like, do I look like I work here? No, I didn't say that. Uh, but it's so funny because in my mind I'm thinking, I'm going to take as much time as they want. I'm going to show them everything, and then I'm going to bring up God. So I ran into two Mordecais already, and I'm like, oh, Mordecai. And then I would go into Purim and all that. They're like, how did you know that? I'm like, I teach the Bible. And then another kid, he, uh, a different, there must be a common name down there, but uh, one, one kid said, oh, uh, my name is Morty. I mean, and I said, oh, you mean Mordecai? He looked at me like, but it's kind of cool. So, you know, I'm asking him questions real kind of coy about certain things. And then he's talking about, we're talking about the different sects, S-E-C-T-S of Judaism. 
and he's going through the, and I know, but I want to hear what he has to say, and he talks about this one sect that seems to have more fun with the Word of God. I'm like, oh, I, I like that. So then I go into the Sabbath with him, with him. It's so cool. Like, if we go, if we go toe-to-toe, I, I know I'm much better at Greek than I am with Hebrew. These guys will crush me because they've studied it since little boys. But, you know, we, I go into the thought. I go in, just like with Jesus, I, you can't go wrong when you, when you try to mimic what Jesus did. And I'm like, oh yeah, because they're all into the Sabbath. I'm like, well, you know, the Sabbath was made for us. You know, God blessed us. You know, he rested at, on the seventh day and, and he, you know, made that for something for us to do. And it was such a blessing to us. It gave us rest. You know, we also could reflect on God and, and the kids going, yeah, like they got the prayer uh, tassels. They wear them everywhere. Um, and I'm like, you know, it, it's kind of become a burden in some religions because it's like this oppressive force that controls people when God did it for our blessings. And like, they're like shaking their heads. So it's a lot of fun because, you know, you take the concepts that Jesus taught and, you know, you, don't be intimidated. So somebody could know another language more than you. They could know. It doesn't matter. God may use you, right? Look at the Pharisees. They knew, Jesus said, about the religious leaders. He said, don't do what they do, but do what they say. And he said, do what they say because they knew the scripture inside and out. He said, but don't do what they do because they're kind of hypocrites the way they use loopholes to get around certain things. He goes, just don't follow them. Don't fall into that ditch. But they definitely know the rules. And what Jesus was trying to do is enlighten them to how they had fallen so far from what God originally um, set up. So Never be intimidated. Just, I think sometimes you just talk to people, and uh, you might be surprised how they, at some point, they kind of maybe give you an opening. But God knows, and if it's an opening, it's definitely from Him. Any others before we close? Yeah, well, I I don't know. Um, I, I like to try to analyze people, and you know, they're young. They look like they're in their twenties. I'm twice their age, sort of like father's age, and you know, I'm I'm very friendly. I smile. Um, I, you know, they might think as they come in with the head coverings, and that they probably get people looking at them funny. Um, and here I am, right? Somebody that's not like them, and just totally embracing them, and it really opens the door. Um, and right, I, I, I was telling Brad was watching. I said, cause I, I, I said, why don't you critique me? I said, I go just far enough to love them and engage them. I said, I can see the line that if I cross that line, now I'm being obnoxious. So when I first was a Christian, I didn't know where that line was and I annoyed people. But I know where the line is, and I read the body language, and I know when they're done having the spiritual conversation with me. And then I see him again in the gym. I'm like, hey, Mordecai, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes they run away from me, but oh, we, just, we, sh- we should have never asked them how to do this exercise. But, um, but I do try to kill them with kindness. And I just love people. And I think that if, you, if your heart is in the right place, God will provide the rest of it. You know, so it's funny. God brought us to a place that's... It's, largely a Jewish sect area, two, two major sects, and uh, there's so many of them that they're just coming to me. 
which is hysterical. I share this with my wife, so, um, but it's, it's, an, it's a neat experience. Just one thing that uh, Linda mentioned. She said, um, "How does you know? It's it's amazing that they continue to listen to you, but you know, there's an old saying that says that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, and I think you can apply that with the sharing of the gospel with people. They re- they need to know that you're not just trying to convince them to agree with you, but that you really love them." And you want them to to know the God that you know. And that's really the most important thing. Okay. So for any of you that are viewing, uh, if you, in the future, if you'd like to send in a question, you can do it through email, contact at cccrossfields.org. Um, or if you're in the church, you can write on one of these pink cards or fill out a piece of paper. We'd love to have some questions for the next time. And also for anyone who may be watching, tune in for the first time. You know, Jesus died for your sins. Um, guy was working on my house this week and I shared with him and his girlfriend. It's very simple. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever will believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And many people have gotten saved either through a a TV ministry or an internet ministry or watching on the live stream. You know, when you ask God into your life, it isn't about the words, but it's the condition of your heart. You need to just repent, which means to change your self-directed life in ways to give yourself to the Lord, to trust that he died for your sins, to verbalize that and to uh, ask him to, you know, to come into your life, fill you with, with his Holy Spirit and then enjoy that walk with him. And um, you can look back 10 years, go by five, 10 years, look back and go, wow, the Lord has really done a great work with me and he's a gentleman every time. So, um, so tune in next time. Uh, that's the, that'll be all for the Q&A and uh, hope to see you Sunday morning. God bless. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless. Let's